What's amazing about Christ's life? Who could tell me? Just one thing that's incredible about Jesus' life that makes the life he lived like absolutely nobody else. Okay, he was a carpenter. Not totally unique, but that is pretty cool. Like there is a humility. Yeah. He never sinned, right? Like when later when guys would say like, you know, oh, he was sinless. Nobody could come back and say anything. Like, okay, seems right. Yeah. Yeah, the miracles. I mean, the food tonight, you guys know it took a while to cook. It wasn't like someone's like, well, I got two leftover RB sandwiches. You're like, all right, let me, let me multiply these for you. But that would take a miracle uh, to get me to eat that. But um, yeah, like miracles, he's multiplying food. He's healing people. These incredible things that Jesus does that are just amazing. I want to tackle some though. We're looking at Jesus' life. You know what we usually don't think about is just a major mark of his life? is his teaching. Uh, for instance, we won't go through all the passages now, but if you were to just walk through the book of Mark, I've been doing this in my own personal reading, it mentions a lot how Jesus spent time teaching. Mark chapter 1, he says, I want to go and teach the gospel, for that's the reason why I have come. He's teaching in and out of the villages. In Mark, I think, 6, he commissions the disciples to go, not just to do miracles, but to do miracles to authenticate their teaching. Uh, when they're tired, the, the feeding of the 5,000 is Jesus actually trying to get away because his disciples just had their, their time teaching. He's looking for a private time with them. The multitudes come and meet Jesus. Jesus feels compassion on them. And what does he do? He says he feels compassion and he taught them. And over and over again, we see Jesus teaching. And not just teaching people, but compelling people. Not just facts, here's some information. But I want to give you some, some information and have you change your life based on what I have to say. That's what Jesus did often. He spent time teaching. Well, tonight, I want to talk about a word that Jesus taught on, or a word that we would use. Jesus doesn't use this word, but an idea that we have in our culture. Jesus does some teaching tonight about what real success is. What real success is. Now, I want to talk about that with you, right? Because I I remember being 16, 17. Uh, I remember what is success. Success for me uh, was doing well enough in school to make sure I can keep playing sports and uh, trying to uh, get a starting spot on varsity basketball. But I want to ask you, what, what is our culture, and this is where we talk back again, what is our culture view as successful? What would you guys say? What, what is successful? Yeah. A hot wife. A hot wife. I mean, I succeeded, so there you go. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Cars. Cars, right? You got a sweet ride? That's success. What else? That's it. All right. Cars and a girl. Come on. What else? Yeah. What? Lots of money, right? Totally. You know, you're, you're, you're pulling hundreds out of your cup holder. That's the thing. What else? What are like some of the most, who are some of the most successful people in our culture? What was that? Okay. If you're president, right? That's pretty successful. The most successful. Uh, what else? Okay, who else would be successful? I think, is, wasn't there a team like up the road that just won their third championship in four years? Basketball team? Nope, okay, no, not as many Golden State Warriors fans as I thought, right? So that would be success. Who's the team here? Who do we like? We like the Lakers, right? Yeah, because LeBron's coming. That's right, LeBron, L.A. Bron. So, right, so that, that, is, that is what our people think of success. Tonight, I want you to look at this passage. And I want you to look at it in terms of success. Let's take a look. Go to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be, we're going to be spending our time there. And I want you to look at verses 17 
to 22. This is a, a text that's very familiar if you've grown up in church. And some of you here maybe here tonight and maybe you're new to church, your family doesn't really go to church. This, this text will apply to you because it talks about what real success is. Jesus, I, I don't know if Austin talked about this last week. You know, Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 talks about Jesus as the creator of the world. This is the creator here talking about the kind of life we really ought to live, which is just helpful for us. Gives us instruction. This is a, a passage that's known as the Jesus' account with the rich young ruler. Let's read it. Mark 10, 17 to 22. It says, And as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Disheartened by this saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. We need to understand this passage. I think it would be helpful if we prayed and then we dive into this text. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you again. Just for a beautiful evening to be out here in your creation. Just to think, God, that you are the one that created us. And you sustain us. We exist because of you and because of your son. And yet in this passage, we learn the measure of success. We learn how it is that we are supposed to respond to your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just walk into this merely as hearers of the word, but you would help us to be doers of the word. That those, that those here who know Christ would follow him more deeply and more zealously. And that some here who maybe do not know your son would come to be followers of him tonight, even for the first time. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. What we have here is Jesus's measure of success. Here is what, by the world's standards, would be a successful man. He's known as the rich young ruler. Uh, we learn here in this passage that he's rich. And we know from the other gospels that he's young. Uh, and, and that he has power, he has authority. And, and I just want you to think, I mean, you want to think rich, he's wealthy, he's youthful, he has influence. That's a measure of success even in our culture today, right? I mean, you look at some of the NBA players like LeBron, you've got the whole league wanting to vie for him to be on their team. He's, he's still a young man, relatively speaking. He's, he's got power, he's got money. You look at some of the musical artists like a Taylor Swift, right? She's young. She's wealthy. She has influence. This man is successful. And yet Jesus tells him that he lacks one thing. And he tells him how to be successful in the form of an invitation. In the form of a very important invitation. You know, we kind of get invitations all the time. Some are more important than others. You know, you'll get like your fifth cousin's uncle's niece or something, uh, which might just still be your fifth cousin. And, you know, get an invitation to your birth, that birthday party, and you're like, 
mm, okay, I don't know if I need to go to that. Or suppose you get a wedding invitation, right? I mean, have you guys seen how heavy wedding invitations are? I mean, those things are decked out. It seems like they spent weeks building each one. Uh, like, that's a big deal. Uh, it's a huge invitation. In fact, one of the hugest invitations, wedding invitations uh, that could have gone out was just a couple months ago. And I know some of you, probably not the guys, but maybe some of the girls were following the royal wedding. Anybody watch that? Yeah, yeah. One of the, some of the guys in front of I just said not many of the guys and they raised their hand. Right, so if, uh, some of you know there was a, a royal wedding. This, this was a big deal across the pond, and I guess some people somewhere thought it was interesting here. Uh, but it, you had Meghan Markle uh, getting married to Prince Henry. Did I get that right? Can somebody affirm this? All right, I got a, I got a nod and a thumbs up, so that's good. Uh, just proof I didn't follow it. But, I mean, think about this. That wedding cost 32 million pounds. I don't know what that is in dollars, but that's how much it cost. It was an expensive, expensive wedding. I didn't do the math. Uh, I was just in Northern Ireland. Help me out here. Uh, it, it was an incredibly expensive wedding. You know, the, the best flowers, she would have gotten the best dress. The coordinator would have been the best they could get. Everything would have played out perfectly. The best location. I mean, crazy, crazy expensive wedding. People invited to the reception, 600. That's, I mean, that's it for all the people they know. Could you imagine getting an invitation to that wedding and knowing like this is going to be the biggest wedding that maybe the world's ever seen and you just go yeah you know what i'm good i'll pass brits aren't really me i'm not really of a tea guy anyway uh you know that, that that would seem foolish even me like i i don't think it's that big of a deal but i think that's an important invitation i i want to at least look into that and see like eh, can i make this work are they going to pay for my flights they could afford it they just spent 32 whatever on a, on a wedding but the invitation that Jesus gives here, this is the most important invitation in the universe. This is the most important invitation that any person can receive in their life that this rich young ruler receives. In fact, this wasn't just written for this man. This is written for you here today. If you're here and you're not a Christian, this invitation goes out to you this evening. The invitation that Jesus is giving you is the most important one that you'll hear in your life. And it's the invitation to follow Christ. So those two words where he says, come, follow me. In fact, if you're here and you are a believer, it's not, also, it's not just a one-time invitation. It's the same thing Christ calls you to every single day. You may have, as, as uh, our friend here, what was your name again? Garrett said, as Garrett said here, you may be someone who claimed to be a Christian who grows up in the church, but the measure of success is not your church attendance. It's are you following the invitation every single day, the command to follow Christ, to follow him. And tonight, I just want to look at a few lessons about this invitation. I'm going to look at three. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at three lessons, three things that we learn from this text about the invitation to follow Christ. This, this passage tells us what it really means to follow Christ. And we want to make sure we do that because that is the measure of success. Are you following Jesus Christ? Some of you I know are getting ready to maybe start high school. How do, what does success in high school look like? Does it mean getting the right GPA? Does it mean going, you know, getting the right scholarship? It means following Christ. Some of you are graduating. You're thinking, what is success going to look like when I go to college? Success is following Jesus Christ. And we see three lessons about it in this passage. Three lessons about what it means to follow Christ. The first lesson is this. Number one, the, the call to follow Jesus requires more than knowledge. So lesson number one, the call, the invitation to follow Christ 
requires more than knowledge. Like I said, you have this man that comes to Jesus. He is known as the rich young ruler. You know what's interesting about this is at the end of it, it's, it's sad. I mean, this man seems like he has everything, but he walks away from Christ and he blew it. And he actually seems like he knows he blew it, right? Did you see that in verse 22? He was disheartened. He went away sorrowful. He knows he messed up. But you know what's interesting? Is the ending, based on the beginning of the passage, is surprising. I mean, did you notice when I read it, how prime of a candidate this man was to, to be a, a convert? Do you, do you know what it says? It says, take a look, verse 17, he's setting out, a man ran up to him. It's the same word. Anybody here a sprinter? Anyone like track and field stuff? All right, so there we go. So this, it's the same word for sprinting in a race. He sprinted up to Jesus. It would be not just like casually walk up. He ran with all that he could. It says he knelt down before him, recognizing the, the greatness of who he is, the, at least the authority of who he is. He not only runs with the right zeal, he shows the right respect. He asks the right question. He, he says, how do I get eternal life? I mean, that's the most important question we could ask. He even calls Jesus good teacher. Do you see the case I'm building here? He is, is, seems to be responding rightly to Jesus. I mean, if all Jesus needs to really do is just play a nice chorus in the background and invite him to come up to the front after the session, and this guy's in, you know what I mean? Like, this guy is a convert. This, let's seal this thing. He knows the right things about Jesus. But that doesn't mean he's following Jesus. He knows correct truth about him. Maybe even for those of you who've grown up in the church, you might be able to say, he knows good doctrine about Jesus. But that doesn't mean that he's following him. What's the lesson here? The lesson is that you can know truth about Jesus and not be following him. That following Christ requires more than knowledge. Now, it certainly doesn't require less than knowledge. You need to know truth about Jesus Christ. You need to know about who he is if you're going to follow him. But it's not just about knowing who he is. It's not just about being able to point to the right verses or sing the right songs or defend the right doctrines. We understand that we need to know who we, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Savior for our sins, that through him alone is salvation. But we need to do more than just know those things. We need to actually follow him. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I, you know, at our church, they used to have Awana, and there's a lot, of, a lot of people that got badges. And, man, it's funny. I've got some high school kids who know verses. Like, if, I'll, if I mess up, like, one of, my, one of my friends one time said that, like, you know, some of you will know this, some of you have no idea. One of my friends one time was teaching through 2 Kings, and he said Rehoboam and Jeroboam were brothers and some sweet little slightly homeschooled girl, and by slightly I mean very, uh, girl came up to him and said, um, excuse me, that's not correct. Uh, not in the middle of a sermon. No, no, that's not true. Afterwards, that would have been real bad. And she was sweet and she was kind, but like they know stuff. They know facts. And I bet some of you know facts. Like if I were to throw, you know, any sort of verse at you, like I could ask you questions. I could ask you if a Nephilim falls in the wood and it doesn't make a sound. Is it allegorical or not? You can answer me with that. But, but, uh, but you know who knows more facts about the Bible than anyone? You know actually better theology than you, according to Scripture? Would be demons. 
Right? There, there, there are the demons that would say in Scripture, no more truth about Jesus even than us. But they don't follow Christ. They don't want anything to do with him. They don't want to submit to him. They don't want to live their lives for him. In fact, they want to live in rebellion to him. I remember at our winter camp back in January, uh, we had a young man who's grown up in the church, uh, but, he wasn't a, but he wasn't a Christian. And he's like, I just don't know. I don't really want to follow Christ. He's having, a, he's having this one-on-one talk with one of our small group leaders. And they're sitting outside in nature. So it's winter camp. We're up in the mountains. You could see the stars. I mean, it's just beautiful. And the small group leader, my friend, starts talking to the student, and he starts reciting from Psalm 19. Anyone here know the beginning of Psalm 19? Anyone, there's got to be at least one. Anybody? I could start at the heavens are. Does anyone know? I thought I heard it, but I, there's, a ga- there's a chasm between me and you, and I'm also still recovering from a plane fight. Okay, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. That's how it started. He, this is what he's talking about. This. You look at the stars, and it declares the greatness of God. You know what's amazing? My friend starts reciting Psalm 19. The kid who's not a Christian knew it by heart. Recited the whole thing. And not just the heavens are declaring the glory of God, but everything up to verse 6 where like even the people who've memorized it start getting funky. He knew it. But he wasn't following Jesus. Friend, you can know a lot about Jesus. But it doesn't mean you're actually following him. It doesn't mean he's actually your treasure. It doesn't mean you're actually living for him. Isn't that true even in our own lives? Like how often is it even as Christians when we sin? In that moment, did we like forget our doctrine? No. It's just we didn't follow him. We didn't submit to him as we ought. Uh, We should not be content with just a mere intellectual relationship about Jesus. That might be some of you here today. The reason why you're saved is because you know more than the Mormons do. But does that mean you're following him? Don't mistake knowing the facts about Jesus with really actually knowing Christ. So that's lesson number one. The call to follow Jesus requires more than knowledge. What else do we learn in this passage? What else do we learn? Well, lesson number two, the call to follow Jesus will cost you everything. So lesson number one, it requires more than knowledge. Lesson number two, the call to follow Jesus will cost you everything. We see here that Jesus makes a statement. He's going to try to bait uh, this rich young ruler into an answer, right? He's not going to ask him, he's not asking him a question to do it, but he's going to say some things, and he's going to try to check the heart motive of this rich young ruler. This is kind of like when somebody asks a question, and they already know the answer, but they're just trying to get you to say it. Uh, like, for example, uh, you know, I, I try to go to the dentist twice a year, that's, that's what people do. You know, if I have to go more than, you know, whatever. But it's kind of like when you're, have you ever had this situation where your dentist asks you like, all right, so how's your flossing been? Like, don't they already know the answer? Like, yeah, I know. And you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to, like, I never feel more like a three-year-old than when I'm at the dentist. Like, how's your flossing been? Not good. What happened? I wasn't flossing. What should you do next time? I should floss more. Like, that's totally what they're doing. They're, they're not asking. They know. They can see your gums. They know things haven't been going well for you. They're trying, to, they're trying to bait you into something. So what does Jesus do here? He's trying to bait this guy into some answers. He's trying to bait this guy into response. And so the first thing he says is, why do you call me good teacher? So he's trying to help this guy see that Jesus actually is the most good teacher. He's trying to help this guy see you're on the right track, but you don't actually get yet that I'm God. And then he starts reciting the law. 
And Jesus isn't reciting the law, right? You know, you don't murder, don't commit adultery. He's not reciting it for the sake of saying, like, this is how you get saved. He's trying to help this guy see that he can't keep the law. It's just like Garrett said earlier, a Christian was someone who, some people make the mistake of thinking a Christian is someone who's good enough. Jesus is trying to show this guy that he's not good enough. And so Jesus says, you know the law, you know these commandments. It's amazing. This, this man says, I've kept these things from my youth up. I've kept the law perfectly. And so what Jesus does is he, he uses a second tactic. He, he's going to say, I'm going to take you somewhere else to show you that you really don't have eternal life yet, that you're not on the right track, that you're not really living uh, the way you're supposed to. And what does he do? In verse 21, he says, Jesus looking at him says, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now here's the question. Why did Jesus ask this guy to sell all that he has? I mean, is this like the normal expectation for Christians? Like Christians are supposed to be poor, don't own anything, sell it. That's not the case. Here's what's happening. Jesus saw into this man's heart. And here's what Jesus wants. If you want to be a follower of Christ, it's free. But here's the truth. It costs you everything. Because Jesus wants all of you. Make no mistake, Jesus is unequaled, right? That's what you're learning about. That's who he is in his person. Therefore, your affections for him need to also be unequaled. He wants to be your greatest love, your greatest treasure. He wants your highest allegiance. Your life is about him. And so he says, like in Mark chapter 8, he summons the crowd and says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He says in Luke 14 that your love for him needs to be so great that in comparison, your love for your family, for your parents, for your friends, even yourself needs to look like hatred. He, he says your whole life is about him. He wants your life to be centered around him, that he would be the number one goal and aim and pleasing him would be the number one desire and even joy of your life. Not just like, all right, well, I need to give it all to Jesus because I'll suffer for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years here, uh, but then at least that'll be good. No, he says he wants it to be a joy that you'd surrender all for him. Uh, Matthew 13 44 says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I mean, it's his joy to surrender all in the same way. If you want to follow Christ, you're saying, my life is about Jesus. So when I show up on my campus, uh, I you know, might be there for school, I might be there to meet friends, I might be there for a hundred reasons, but my number one reason is to please and honor Jesus Christ. Uh, when I'm dating, and uh, you know, whatever your rules are in dating, look, you're, whenever that comes about, you're saying, my goal in this number one is to please Christ. When I'm on the field, it's about him. This is the, the regular teaching of Jesus. Friends, that's why we as Christians, we obey. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. You're thinking, why do these Christians act good all the time? Are they trying to get to heaven? Oh, no. We, uh, we try to obey because we love Christ. Our life's about him. When Josh Petrus got converted, there was a funeral. Josh Petrus had to die. And my life became about Jesus Christ, or at least I try to make it about him. 
This is what it means to follow Christ. Your marriage, your parenting, your friendships, your career, your money is all about him. Now, we won't do that perfectly. We will not do it perfectly in this life, but that is the direction and the passion of our heart. So, why did Jesus then tell this guy to sell all that he has? Because, there's an important lesson here, because Jesus saw that this man loved riches more than anything. See, even tonight, this is part of the danger of following Jesus. Jesus can see our hearts, and he's going to ask you through his spirit, through the word, maybe even through the sending of someone to come teach and preach. He's going to ask you to surrender those things that you are tempted to hold above him. You know, in our, in our hearts, we are tempted to love other things. I like sports. Uh, you know, you, you might like hobbies. You might like entertainment. Some of you have spent just countless hours playing Fortnite. And it's sad. And we'll rebuke you later for that. But, right, there, there's other things that could take our heart. And it's kind of like, you know, at our camp, I'm sure you guys have something like that. We have this game called the Mud Pit. And in the middle of it, there's this giant hill. And there's always a bunch of dudes that want to play King of the Hill after. It's kind of like there's this ongoing game of King of the Hill that happens in our heart. Jesus is saying, I want to be on top. I want to be the first love all the time. And what he'll do is he'll ask us, he'll demand of us that we surrender that thing that we're holding above him. That's what he's doing to this man. And friend, tonight, if you want to follow him or if you're trying to follow him, that's what he's going to do to you. You know, some of you haven't been following Christ and you might be saying like, oh, it's the sin issue I'm committing. Maybe it's that sin issue or maybe there's a heart issue under. Maybe that sin issue that you're, you're dealing with is because the thing that you love most is your own comfort or you value that girl or that boy's opinion or this group's opinion over Christ's opinion or you'll feel like well I'll really be happy if I have this and not as we sing in that third song content in Christ right he wants to be our greatest love and our greatest treasure and if not then we won't follow him you realize that right you follow the things you love and if you don't love Christ first, you don't follow him. That's why he asked this man. That's why he asked you tonight. So even, I know you're going to small groups later. Is that, is that accurate? That might just be a great question to ask. Is what are the things that I'm tempted to love more than Jesus that stop me from following Jesus? Because we follow the things that we treasure. It's why, friends, it's, it's such a good thing that you're part of a church like this, that people can ask those questions. But it's also some of the danger of being in a religious environment. Part of the danger of being in a religious environment is you can know a lot about Christ and value Christ, but you value him kind of fifth in the pecking order, right behind work, academic success, and relationships, entertainment. We want to treasure him first so that we follow him. Because this passage teaches us even maybe our parents don't know that we don't love Christ most. Maybe our small group leaders don't know, but Christ knows. He wants us to follow him not just outwardly, but inwardly in our hearts. So those are the first two lessons we've seen. We've seen the call to follow Jesus, number one, requires more than knowledge. The call to follow Jesus, number two, will actually cost you everything. So what's the third lesson? The third lesson, and this one is helps, and this one is so encouraging, and it's so good. The call to follow Jesus, lesson number three, the call to follow Jesus is a mercy, is a kindness. The call to follow Jesus is a mercy. I remember 
when I first studied this passage for the, like the first time on my own, I was a senior in high school, um, as many of you are. I was once for about a year. And I was leading a Bible study. It was an outreach Bible study. You know, we had some unsaved kids showing up from our... It was actually funny. Like, I was not popular in high school. Like, I think every high school has, like, the cool kids. And, you know, like, what's the cool sport at one school is different at another. Like, at my school, I was a basketball player, and basketball players were the dorks. I don't know if that's the case here, but, yeah, I know. Shocking. Uh, shocking that I'm a dork, I know, for many of you. But it's true. But one day, you too can grow. Um, you know, but I'm leading this Bible study, and I'm working through the Gospel of Mark. And I come to this passage... And I'm looking at what Jesus is saying is sell all that you have. And I got to be honest with you, I misinterpreted it the first time. I misunderstood it because I thought, here's what I, I thought Jesus was kind of punking this guy. Like I, I pictured in my mind, I pictured kind of like this. The guy runs up to Jesus. He, you know, Jesus says, oh, you want to follow me? Do all these laws. And the guy's like, well, I've done all those laws. And he's like, all right, hot stuff. Try this on for size. Sell all that you have. And then, you know, it kind of puts him in this place. That's all I thought. Bad interpretation. That's not what's going on. If that's the way you're reading it, that's not what's happening here. Uh, you also might be reading this thing like, isn't Jesus being mean here? I mean, isn't this a little narcissistic? Right? Isn't this self-centered saying, so make your whole life be about me? Friend, it's not true. This is a mercy. This is Jesus' kindness. You know, Garrett said something earlier, um, you know, that you have a normal testimony. I totally know what you mean by that. Everyone says, like, grew up in a church, realized like a real gospel, got saved, and not that special of a testimony. Oh, friends, anytime Jesus invites someone to follow him, though, it's a mercy, and it's a testimony. Let me show you why. Take a look at verse 21. It says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing, solid you have. It says he loved him. If you wanted to get into the Greek there, that's the same word those who grow up in churches, the agape love. It's that sacrificial love. It's the greatest kind of love anybody could show. So it's Jesus' great love that compels him to say, sell all that you have. So he's not doing it to be mean. He's not doing it to test them. He's not doing it as a jerk. He's doing it out of love. Sell all that you have and follow me. Okay, here's the question. How is that loving? What is loving about that? How is that a loving thing? Right? Isn't it going to be hard to follow Jesus? Right? I mean, some of you, you try to follow Jesus at school, you're going to get mocked. You're going to get made fun of. People are going to think you're dumb or some nut. How is this loving, Jesus? You just made my life way harder if I do this. You know, sometimes we misunderstand because we think often about the follow I'm going to have to follow, 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 follow every day. Follow, follow. You know why this is loving? Because Jesus says, follow me. He says, follow me. You know who that me is? It's that unequaled Christ that you've been studying. The Christ who created everything, who sustains everything, who perfectly reflects the Father who is the long-foretold prophet, priest, and king, uh, the one to whom all scripture points towards, the one who inherit all things, the ruler of the universe forever. That's the me. It's the matchless Christ. Friends, do you know where Jesus is going right now? 
You saw that in verse 17, right? He went to set out on a journey. Do you ever stop to think where is that journey going to take him? Take a look over the word. Jump, jump down to verse 32. 32, it says, And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those followed were afraid. Taking the 12 again, he began to say to them and tell them what was going to happen, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, and deliver him over to the or, sorry, and they will condemn him to death, and they will deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Jesus is going to the cross to die for sinners, to be mocked and spit on and treated like a piece of meat, and then eventually to bear the wrath of God for sinners. And he says to this man, follow me. You won't have riches. You won't have pleasure in this world. But friend, you can have a part in this. I'm going to pay for sin and you can have a part of this. All your sin, that your works, that you had the audacity to say that you've never sinned in your life, I will pay for those. If you follow me, I'll do it. Don't hold on to your, for him, his Jewishness. Don't think your wealth, your morality. I'll pay for your sin. You can have a part in this if you follow me. Do you see the mercy in that? Do you see the beauty in that? It's an incredible kindness when Jesus offers sinners the invitation to follow. Friend, that is the only way you could be saved from your sin. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says that you have sinned against a holy God. And in fact, we could go all through the Bible. You could go back to what we talked about last year. We've, we've sinned often. We've sinned knowingly. In fact, we've sinned rejoicing in our sin against a perfectly good God. And yet God in his mercy sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be our substitute. So that if we abandon these vain pursuits of the world, we get forgiveness of sin, and we get Christ. This is the offer that gets thrown out. This is the amazing just teaching of Jesus. I mean, no one had such clear teaching in him, and yet I don't see anywhere else the mercy and kindness that he showed. Friend, here tonight, maybe you're a Christian, and you're trying to follow Christ, and you're having a hard time. You're saying, I'm rough. You know what you need is, is you need this picture of Jesus. You need a beautiful picture of Christ. Let me talk a picture uh, for a moment to those of you that are believers, but you're like, I, I'm just having a hard time following Christ. This is a picture of Christ that you need. You know, it, in, in Greek mythology, there are these characters called the sirens. You guys have heard of these, right? They're kind of like mermaid-like things. They, they sing beautifully. And sailors, as they move along, they hear the singing. They're attracted to it. Well, the, the sirens try to get these ships to shipwreck. So they hear the beautiful music like, oh man, that sounds beautiful and they shipwreck. And in Greek mythology, there's, there's, it's interesting, there's two different times the sirens are discussed. One of them, and I read this when I was in high school, was in the Odyssey. Did you guys ever read the Odyssey still? Okay, the Odysseus. How does Odysseus avoid the sirens? How do they get past it? Somebody? Yeah, blog is here. They cover all the sailors' ears. He still wants to hear it, but they tie him to a post. Uh, but they cover it out, right? They block out the sound. So how do you avoid the sirens? You block it out. There's another one in another Greek mythology, story in Greek mythology, Jason and the Argonauts. 
Jason and the Argonauts, they're passing by the sirens, and they're worried about the sound, but here's the difference. There's a man traveling with them named Orpheus, and Orpheus plays the harp. He plays the lyre, and here's how they avoid it. Orpheus plays his harp more beautifully than the song of the sirens. And it's more beautiful and more attractive, so much so that they ignore the sirens and they listen to the sound of Orpheus and therefore stay safe. I think that's a good picture of a bad way and a good way for us to follow Jesus. Some of you are trying to follow Christ by just kind of only focusing on blocking out the world. So I need to block out, block out, block out, and I just need to kind of grit it out through today, Lord, help me to block out all the temptation, right? And that's a good thing. You should block out temptation. You know what this passage helps us do to follow Christ? Not just to block out the world, but it's just to see how Jesus is better. I mean, nowhere do you see this kind of authority and this kind of mercy and this kind of compassion. It's just incredible. So you need to meditate on this Jesus. You need to see who he is if you want to follow him. But friend, tonight, if you are not a Christian, and we'll wrap up here, if you don't know Jesus Christ, God in his mercy calls you tonight to follow him. That you have an opportunity to have all your sins forgiven. That though Jesus knows all about your sin, not just the sins that you've done, but that he knows that you've done them lovingly and some of you maybe even mockingly. Some of you maybe even hypocritically trying to use your knowledge as kind of a, a mascara to cover up the false Christianity that lies within. He still calls you to follow him. He says that you can have a part in this mercy as well. You too can receive forgiveness. You too can know Jesus Christ. And if you do that, if you follow him with all of your heart, if you follow him completely, then it says he gives forgiveness. He will wash your sin as white as snow. He will separate it, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. Malachi 7 says he tosses our transgressions into the sea, that he, that he stomps them underfoot. And that he could do so because Christ himself was trampled underfoot by the wrath of God in your place. And don't you want that forgiveness? Isn't that the kind of mercy that you want? The kind of eternal life that you need? Then turn to Christ. He is unequaled. There is nothing else that you can turn to that could secure your future and offer the same grace that he offers. I exhort you, turn to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you just for the goodness of who you are. Thank you for sending your son to die for sinners. God, I pray you would help us to follow Christ. I pray that every morning, every moment throughout the day that we would make our life about Christ, that we would not be content with an intellectual Christianity only, but with a Christianity that follows your son. God, help us to identify those other loves that captivate us and pull us away. And help us not just to block those out, but enthrall us with your son, Lord. Satisfy us with your loving kindness. Cause us to delight with you with joy that's inexpressible and full of glory. And help us to follow Christ. Pray even tonight that those maybe who don't know you would come to know you. 
break up of their sin and rescue sinners. We thank you, we love you, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.